0: Amen. So blessed by them. Thank you to the worship team. They're going to come back out here in a minute. And for those of you that are regulars here, you come to Bethany, call Bethany home. Uh, We just threw you a curveball because we almost always do three songs. And so you're thinking something must be up. Uh, They only did two this morning. It wasn't just to give you a break and let you rest for a minute. Uh, but uh, So we are passionate about Jesus. I said that in the opening. You know that. Our mission is to introduce people to Jesus, embrace them as family, and help them grow. And Jesus isn't doing work just here in East Earl, but he's doing work all over the world. And there are certain mission organizations that we're a part of that we are wanting to see and trying to bless to see Jesus do work all around the world, not just here in East Earl, Pennsylvania. And so this morning we are blessed to have uh, one of the Churches that we partner with is a church in Romania, and Pastor Mircea from that church uh, there in Romania is here with us this morning. He's just going to come up for a couple minutes, so you can come up, Pastor Mircea, and share uh, what is going on in Romania. And as I heard him sharing this morning, I, I was really excited to hear about the things that are going on there in Romania. Now, I asked him. I kind of owe him an apology because I asked him, how long has he been doing this? How long has he been a pastor? He said, 25 years. And I said, wow, you know, I was nine years old when he started. And so I think I probably made you feel old, and that was not my intention. Uh, But uh, so now I just did it again. But anyway, I'm just going to be quiet now. I'm going to let him share. And uh, he has some really exciting news of what's going on in Romania. Baccia. I am um, so pleased to be with
1: you in this morning and I bring you greetings from your um, sister church from Romania, Bethany Church, because um, you were uh, a special part when we had under construction this uh, uh, small village church, Bethany, and I was sharing just a few minutes ago um, we have five new believers who are ready to be baptized in this um, small village church. On the 29th of June, we held this baptismal meeting. But uh, my name is Mircha Demian. I met Cliff and Alvin and some other and Leon Shirk many years ago from 25 years. We are working in our um, uh, mission field, let's say so, because we built a church in my hometown, 700 seats. We were only 90 believers in 1990 because I grew up under communism communist regime. But uh, we, by faith, we built a church, 700 seats, and the church was full. And uh, a lot of people now are living in Europe from our church because... Um, After uh, this crisis, economical crisis, people were looking to find a job. But after we um, uh, finished the church building in my hometown, Hatsig, we started a mission in south part of Romania, uh, where the Danube River, in north of Danube River. And by God's grace, in that area and in our area, we could build over 70 buildings. Uh, buildings for churches and we preached the gospel in the places where people were, um, didn't know anything about um, to be born again and uh, belongs to a, an evangelical church and so on. They were in prison and so on. But by God's grace, we could go from village to village. We preached the gospel. We rent um, a, a field and we invited people to come. We bought some uh, instruments and so, and we had an open meeting. And now, for example, in a village in south part of Romania, where we um, built a church and we help people to grow and um, um, grow in their faith and so on, um, people have mud houses, very, very uh, poor Uh, conditions and um, a family with four kids because they had just only one room and they had a goat were in the same room and four kids and the parents and the parents were away and they had a small stove and they did fire and the fire came out from the stove and two boys were burned and they died in that moment the parents lost their mind And uh, we held them year by year for three years, and we gave to them some food, clothes, and so on. But they were living in the same very, very bad uh, room. And last year, we decided with John Yoder and some other who were from states there, because we are working, we preach the gospel, and we fill their stomach, and we wash them, because we open, we develop different programs like our daily milk our daily bread our daily water and so on and we said why not to build a house a small house for them because a house like that one will cost us about ten thousand dollars and with ten thousand dollars we can build a house for a family with two rooms and one small kitchen and a Bathroom, not equip everything, but just uh, fix the roof and have everything. And we said, why not uh, build a house for this very poor family? And um, we started to dig the foundation. We fixed the foundation. We bought some bricks. And we started um, to build walls. And we were amazed. This man who lost his mind, he had a very long hair and he was like a, a... demonic man and so immediately he changed everything I said may you cut my hair we said oh yeah but are you agree the other said he was not agree when we asked him to do this he was very angry he said may I shave and um, he said you are really people you are not doing only picture you are doing something very special and can you believe now he received his mind he is a normal man and he is ready to be baptized, and he is coming to church. And we saw a lot of miracles like this, and we have hundreds and hundreds of people who were robbers, and they were in prison, and they changed their lives, and so on. And now, for example, I shared last, uh, before, last service, I shared in a village called Pisku, where a family... Uh, a big family, they were judged because they were born-again Christians. And they um, uh, followed Jesus. They were judged in a, uh, in a village hall room just to be uh, testimony for the other. They are excommunicated and so on. And they were sent away a few hundred kilometers. After revolution, after 25 years, they came back. Exactly, we bought, with your help, We bought that building, and exactly in the room where they were judged, we opened, it's a sanctuary, and we have a church, and the lady who was excommunicated in that moment, he had cancer, and he was brought in a bed by four men in the sanctuary in the day when we dedicated the building. And a man who was a young man, probably like your age, and so... He was, he was so bad, so bad. And his mom came to me and said, Pastor Mircha, please pray for my son. He's so bad. He's beating me. He's an alcoholic. And he's beating his wife. And it's, it's, it's a hell in our home. Please pray for him. I said, okay, we'll pray. And guess what happened after 15 years? I met that lady and said, Pastor Mircha, God is good. God is good. You know, the man, the boy, I asked you to pray 15 years ago. Now he's my pastor. I ordained him like a pastor, and I didn't know that this one was the man. And now in that place, in that church where where they were judged, it's our um, uh, mission base in south, and this man is overseer, in that area and also he is a missionary over danube river in bulgaria because we have some other people in bulgaria and they said why not if we didn't know about jesus these people are in same needs like us and they don't have any income we have churches with 2 300 people and no one is employed just social help because they are living in that poor area and um, one village for example is called foolish village just because they didn't have any church, school, or so on. But now these people, they are teachers, they are missionaries, we ordain them, and they are supported. We bought for them motorcycles, we bought for them uh, second-hand cars for some of them, we built houses, and um, we bought uh, uh, a land to give to them, possibility to work, and... Um, I am so blessed because I used to work in a university and I received my PhD years ago, but I quit from this in last years just to accomplish what God uh, called us to do, to preach the gospel, because I believe it's important to be trained and to have a, a lot of degrees and so on, but it's very important again to win people for Jesus. Thank you very much because you are a part of this mission. We can't do without your help. We are so blessed to have you and this was a God appointment because God brought you in Romania and really you are welcome to um, be a part in future in this ministry, in this mission and it's you see it's hard to put together 25 years of ministry in 5 minutes but Uh, would be here. We have an auction next um, Saturday at White Horse and Mm -hmm. you are welcome to be a part. We raise funds for this because in addition of all what I said, we have also an orphanage and we have 12 kids and they don't have parents and they don't have anything else. And my um, wife, she is uh, their mom. I am uh, their dad and They call us dad and mom and so on. We have care for them. And we have enough to work. But if you come, we will take time to go one or two weeks in mission and to show to you what we are doing and be together and to work together. Because what we are doing in these last days, we must preach the gospel and shine Jesus all around us and to be ready to wait Jesus to come. May God bless you. I promise people from Romania, daily, 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 in Bethany, they are praying for you. We have a man from our church who is in charge for that church, and his daughter lost one leg, and she is 13 years old. She had cancer, and the, the doctor cut one leg, and she's thinking... Every Sunday in that church and they are praying for you Mm -hmm. and we are praying for you also and we are waiting you and may God bless you. Thank you very much for this time Mm -hmm. and um, be sure we love you and we are one body and we are one in Christ and in one day would be not necessary for me to travel from Romania to come here to explain how bad situation we have, how poor people are and so on and it's not necessary for you to go back. We would be with Jesus. And you and we, we must be ready and await Jesus for that. Amen. Thank you very much, and may God bless
0: you. Amen. Yeah, you. yeah let, me, let me pray for you. So... That's just a, an opportunity for you to hear about, you don't often get to hear this, but an opportunity for, he, for you to hear about one of the, the churches that we're partnering with there in Romania. It's so exciting uh, just to hear the stories, the, the things that are going on there, and, and to be a part of that with, with you guys. And so I just want to spend a, a minute to pray for you and for the church there in Romania, and uh, yeah, so let's just do that. Father God, we come to you and we praise you as our Father. Uh, God, it is so awesome to know that you are here with us this morning. You are here in our presence. You are in Romania this morning. You are there in their presence. And there is nowhere that we could go that we could escape your presence. Uh, And that, uh, Lord, is mind-blowing and it's something to praise and be... Uh, in all of. And Father, we do. We, we praise you for that. God, I, I just want to pray now for my brother, uh, Pastor Mircha and the work that, that you are doing through him there in Romania. Uh, I pray specifically for the church uh, there, that the church would be strengthened, uh, that the brothers and sisters there, the believers there would be uh, encouraged in their heart to continue to go forward, to continue to share the gospel. Uh, that many there would hear and receive and be baptized, just as we are doing here in East Earl, Pennsylvania, Lord. I pray that that message uh, would go forward, no matter whether they're in Europe or here. It doesn't matter, Lord. We just want to see people come to know you and walk in freedom from bondage and sin. Father, I do pray against the enemy and his works and effects. Uh, I pray that you would bind him up, that he would have no uh, foothold there in Romania and uh, continue to do the work that you are doing. And we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. so if you are new with us as we walk into this message this morning, you don't know where we're at, Uh, we are going through this series, as you'll find, as I said on the cover of your bulletin, Jesus Period, and really what this series is all about is that Jesus is all that we need, that's why you have the period there, there's nothing... ...to add after him. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, as you saw in that video. Uh, If you are following along with us, if you have one of these and you're following along, we'll be on page 41 uh, this morning. If you don't know what this is, this is our reading plan... Uh, just a, a week-by-week, day-by-day opportunity for you to work through uh, different passages. If you don't have one of these and you want one of these, uh, right outside in the foyer there to the right, you'll find them on the rack. And uh, there's a page to take notes on the, the message, and so page 41 is where we're at. So this series, Jesus Period, uh, is really all about uh, about Him and, and who He is. And so what I want to do this morning, though, is a little something different to get us started and I'm going to make, possibly make you feel a little uncomfortable because when you came into church this morning, if you were a regular uh, to, to these church services, you kind of have this idea of, okay, there are two times in a service where I participate. Uh, the first time is the singing, all right? We just did that. And some of you stand and, and sing and some of you don't participate in that and you just stand and reflect and, and that's all right too. But then the other time is when the offering comes by, that's an opportunity to participate and say, I'm about what this this church is about. I'm, I'm about the the organizations, the missions, the the mission of this church. I'm about that, and so I want to participate in that. I want to partner with that. Uh, but when we get to this point, like when when the speaker gets here up here, whether it's me or Pastor Adam or whoever it may be, uh, you kind of sit back and you think, all right, I get to to listen now, to take this in. Well, this morning I'm going to make you interact a little bit, hopefully. And if you don't say anything, uh, I'm going to call on you, and that's really going to make you feel uncomfortable. Now, if you're a guest, you're like. Whew, he doesn't know my name. He can't call on me. Uh, but first service, I was impressed. because I'll, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. The first service tends to be like, I don't know if they just need an extra cup of coffee or what, but they tend to be a little more somber than you guys. Uh, but they did good. I asked them this question. They interacted with it. So... Uh, It's not kindergarten, so I don't need you to raise your hand, all right? So just in in a a civil way, I'm going to ask for a response to something. And here's the question that we're going to be dealing with this morning. How do you view God? And I'm going to define that a little better for you. Uh, What words would you use to describe Him? So when you think of God in your mind, what are the words that come to your mind that you would use to describe Him? So, okay, go ahead. This is your chance now. Go ahead and say it again. Awesome. Somebody used that one in the first service. I love it. You know why I love that one so much is because my mom taught me at a very young age. I use the word awesome a lot. And she used to tell me, you can't use that word for anything other than God, because if God is awesome, then your baseball cards are not awesome. (laughs) Okay, mom. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Go ahead. Sorry. Father. Somebody said father. Good one. Loving. Good. Holy. Excellent. Jealous. Boy, that one takes some explanation, Trinity. Uh, Almighty. Almighty. I think I heard creator, too. Somebody got that one in there. Any other ones? All in all. Friend. Friend. Great. You guys are good. I should let you come up here and do this. All right. So here's why I do that with you is because your view of God and the words you use to describe him will shape so much of your life, more of your life than I think you even give it credit for. Okay, your view of God will shape the way that you think about yourself, the way that you interact with others, the way you think about others, your worldview, the way you look at the world, the way you look at everything, your view of God and how the lens with which you interpret him is going to shape the way that you view the world and interact with the world. Now, for me, as I've been on this journey and Pastor Mirchev and I were having some fun about being this young guy at 34, uh, I will acknowledge that my view of God over the years has changed. All right, there have been some landmarks along the way where I have seen some real change in my own heart in the way that I view God. And I would be naive to th- say to you today that at 34 years old, I'm done shaping my view of God. I think God has more work to do in my heart. And some of you that are further along in the journey can look at me and say, Yeah, Chris, there's more work that God has to do in your heart and there's more work to be done. But I'll explain what I, what I'm getting at here is because... When I was 8 years old, that's when I first gave my life to Jesus and I said, "You know, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven." My parents told me that Jesus was the way to do that. And so I had this view of God as this like grandfatherly figure. This grandfatherly figure, and I don't know why we all get that view of God, but that's just, uh, so many people I hear tell their story, that's kind of the view they have. And so I had this view of him up there on the throne, just smiling down on me, and everything was good. And then I got to high school, and I started to want to do my own things, and started to want to be more independent. And at that point, there were some things that I was interested in that maybe God wasn't interested in me doing. And so I started to push him aside. I started to, to view him more as judgmental in his, his approach to me, looking down on me with a little more grieving in his heart, a little more anger and frustration towards the things that I was doing. And so what that caused me to do was to push away from him. What that caused me to do was to say, uh, I really want to go this direction, God, and so I'm just going to pretend for a minute that you're not interested In my everyday day to day life, and so that's what happened. And uh, eighteen years old, I have this come to Jesus moment, and Jesus kind of punches me in the face and says, "You got to wake up to this, okay? Because I love you, and my grace is sufficient for you." And and so I, all of a sudden, my eyes are open, and I see God as this gracious, loving God, and I call Him gracious because if I look at my the, the. Four years prior of my life in high school, there were all kinds of things that I had done that were a mess. I hurt people, I hurt myself, and it just wasn't good. And so I had no track record, if you will. I had nothing to come to God with and say, see, see how I've been living my life? You should be pleased with me. And at that moment at 18, when I, when I looked at God, it was, man, God, why would you even love me? What have I done? He says, I love you because of who I am. Because of who you are, and my grace is sufficient; it's covered over all of those sins, and I was excited about that. Then I get into my early twenties, and I'm doing the Christian thing, the Christian life, you know. and And one of the things that you learn really early on when you're being discipled is that you have to put this thing called sin to death. And I'll be honest, I was excited about that. There was some real progress in my life early on. I was putting sin to death. But all of a sudden, as I was going through my 20s, I was trying to, it was like, all right, God, I got to do some things for you. That word for is really important. And I was thinking, all right, I got to do these things for you. So there's sin that I got to put to death, things I'm not supposed to do. And then, oh, yeah, there's things that I am supposed to do. So I'm going to start doing those things. And working really hard for you. And I will be honest with you, uh, those, those years in my early 20s were really formative for me. They were really important. I don't want to paint them into a bad picture. And some of you may be there this morning in your view of God. You're looking at God and you're saying, all right, there's some things that I really, really need to work on and put to death and get rid of in my life. And that's, that's where I was at in my early 20s. But God, in His grace for me, has really rounded off some edges and shaped some things and has given me a bigger picture of who he is. And as I move into my early 30s, there's this word that keeps coming, and someone mentioned it, and I love that they mentioned this, is that he is a loving father. And maybe for you this morning, you didn't have a loving earthly father in your life. And so it's really, really hard for you to look at that term and say, all right, God's a a father. Well, to me, that father figure wasn't good. Right, but you've got to understand this. God is a loving, heavenly father. He loves you. He's called you one of his own if you're in Christ. So that's really important. All right, As you view, as you view the landscape of how you view God, it's really important that, that you, you define how it is that you view God. Now, I view God as my, my loving, heavenly father. I view Jesus as my, my loving big brother who's come to pay the ultimate price for me. He's come and sacrificed himself for me. Now, for some of you, when I call Jesus my loving big brother, that might cause you to, to, to struggle a, w- a little bit. Unless you think I'm blaspheming, I want to give you a verse to consider. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 2. It goes like this, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, we talked about this two weeks ago, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. We talked about that last week. Fit to bring them into their salvation. So now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. You and I, if we are in Christ, Christ has made us holy. We have the same Father. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them, what does he call them? He calls them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, that's Jesus, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will appraise you among your assembled people. So Jesus is our loving big brother who has paid the ultimate price so that we might be in relationship with God. All right, so back to this view of who God is. As a whole, here's what happened to me as he's been rounding this out. And this is really important because in your own journey with God, I, I believe this will be true for you. As your interpretation or your view of God changes, it will change the way you view certain, th- certain things. All right, So it changed for me the way I understood God's law. Now if you're new to the church, you're like, what's God's law? Think Ten Commandments. All right? God comes, the Old Testament lays down the, the law, Right, the Ten Commandments. Here's the things you should do, you shouldn't do. All right. It changed for me the way I viewed that. It changed for me the way I viewed sin. It changed the way I viewed others. And it changed the way I viewed sin in others. So this is really, really important. And what I want to, you to do with this for a second is just to take it and put it in your back pocket. All right. Just hold on to that thought for a second because we're going to come back to how we view God. But we're going to jump in here. As I said, this, this series, Jesus Period, is a, a series in the book of Colossians. All right, So we're going to look and go to the book of Colossians with me. Uh, if you are new to the Bible or a skeptic of the Bible, Colossians is in the New Testament, what we call our New Testament, the, the latter third of the Bible. Uh, that might help you out, give you some, some pointers as to where to find it. Uh, Just so you understand, if you are a guest with us and new to the scripture, uh, the Bible to us is the the inerrant word of God without error. It's infallible. All right. And we view it as an authority in our lives. So we believe that there were men who wrote the books and they wrote them as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we look at it as uh, this thing has some some God has some things to teach us. And this is one of the ways he does it through his word. All right, so we're going to go, I'm going to read this whole passage and we're going to go verse by verse. So verse 6 is where we're going to start in Colossians chapter 2. So then, just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, verse 6 is where we're going to start. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. So if I mention Paul, that's what I mean. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. And he says this. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Very, very important point that he makes here. And I want you to think for a second. Go down memory lane with me. If you are a believer in Jesus, right, if you're a follower of his, when did that happen for you? And maybe for you, you can't put like uh, a date there, like a, a day, a month, a year, but you generally know of the time that when you put your faith in Christ. And for some of you, maybe this is 30, 40, 50 years in the past, right? But I want you to think about it for a second, because for me, when I read this verse this week, I was overcome with what Paul is saying here, that he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue now to live in him. Okay, because for me, when I came to Christ, as I told you when I was 18, uh, my life changed drastically, right? And I was excited. First, the first emotion that I felt when I realized that I was forgiven of all my sin was relief. There was kind of a breathing out, like, wait a second, there was a a gap between me and God and the the penalties paid for? Like, I I don't have to do anything, just believe in Jesus? Yeah believe in Jesus. There was relief that all that sin in my life had been dealt with. There was excitement about new life in me, something changing in me. I was excited. And I went and I told my friends about Jesus. And some of them looked at me like, "What? are you crazy, Jesus? Yeah, I'm crazy. (laughs) But Jesus has made this difference in me. And some people would walk up to me and say, there's something is Something's different about you. You don't do the things you used to do. You don't say the things you used to say. I would say, yeah, it was Jesus in me. And then as I went through my, my life, as I talked about, you know, there was a point where I started to depend now on my own ability not to sin. I started to do a, depend on my, my, own, my own works. I'll put it that way. I, I just started to depend on my own works. And I think if Paul were my friend today, If Paul were here today, he would come alongside of me and I think he would put his arm around me and he would maybe he would punch me, I don't know. But he would say, what happened to you? You know, you started out with this excitement for Jesus. You started out on this right path, understanding that it was his grace that has made you right with God. But then all of a sudden, something changed in you and you started to think that you could do it on your own. You started to think that it was more about the way you looked and your appearances to others that became more important to you. And it's, all, it's always been about Jesus. Because what happens, what has happened in my life, and I believe you can probably relate with this if you've been walking with Christ for any amount of time. There is sin that will creep up in your life. Right? There will, sin, sin is still there. And it creeps up in your life. And what do we try to do with sin? We try to hide it, right? Or we try to manage it. Because we don't want others to know about it. We don't want others to know that there's still sin there. So we either make excuses and cover it up. Or we make promises, usually empty promises. Like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. And what I really think that it comes down to is when we do those things, when we cover up sin, when we hide it, all right, or we try to make excuses for it or try to promise it away, it is pride in our hearts. It is pride. And Paul is saying, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue in Him. That day when I was 18 and I gave my life to Christ and I said I had nothing to show for it, I couldn't look at Christ and say, I have this shiny life without sin. You have to accept me. It was, I got this messed up life. And he said, yeah, but I paid for it on the cross. And so why is it that along the way as we go, all of a sudden now we're more concerned about our own image and our own protection than we are just, I did it. I I sinned. And take responsibility for it and say, it's still all about Jesus. It's not about my image. It's not about what people think about me. It started out as about Jesus and it's still about Jesus today. Because there's this reality that we must, we must contend with as Christians. Temptation is going to come along. Every single day that we're on this earth, I believe we face temptation in one sh- one way, shape, or form. And Jesus never said that it was a sin to be tempted. Even He was tempted. right? But what happens in that moment of temptation, whether it's to, to spend money I don't have, whether it's to look at an image on a screen and I know I shouldn't go there, whatever your temptation is, and I can't mention them all this morning. We would be here all morning. But Whatever your temptation is, I want you to think about this for a second, because the moment that I give in to that temptation, the moment I click on that image, the moment I play that video that I know I shouldn't, the moment I'm spending money that I don't have, the moment that I'm I'm withholding uh, love from others, maybe it's hatred, anger, whatever it is, the moment I give in to that temptation is the moment that I've given my affection to something other than Christ, My love, and we have to be honest with ourselves, my love for something else is trumping my love for Jesus, and it should be the other way around. Because you and I know when you click on that image, you're not taking Jesus with you there. It's not about worshiping Jesus in that moment. It's not about glorifying Jesus. It's not about honoring Jesus in that moment. It's all about you. And so your love for something else has gone above your love for Christ. It's a reality that we have to deal with. And so there's this idea that we are supposed to put our sin to death, right? That's there. We're going to get there in Colossians, that we should put our sin to death. So how do we do that? Well, there's a pastor in Texas. His name's Matt Chandler, and I I really appreciate him. And he wrote this book called The Explicit Gospel. And he highlights something here that I think is, is really important for us all. So I wanted to share it with you. He says this, what ends up happening to so many of us is that we spend so much time trying to put sin to death that we don't spend enough time striving to know God deeply, trying to gaze upon the wonder of Jesus Christ and have that transform our affections to the point where our love and hope are steadfastly on Christ. The goal is this, that Christ would become more beautiful and desirable than the allure of sin. Let that resonate for a second. That Christ would become more beautiful and desirable than the the allure of sin. There's an old hymn that was written in 1922. Uh, The Newsboys redid it 20 years ago, which makes me feel old because I listened to it back then. But it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus... And look full in his wonderful face. And all things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. If we would only get that idea down. If we would only get that point. That if we would fall more in love with Jesus. If our affections would be for him. If every day I wake up I'm preaching the gospel into my own heart. Saying today is all about Jesus and it's not about me. I promise you our struggle with sin would be far different. I I hesitate to say that it would go away completely. But if we would really honestly deal with our affection for Christ and be gazing upon him daily... That struggle with sin, with sin would change and it would be far easier to walk away from sin than it is when we're only thinking about don't do that sin, don't do that sin, don't do that sin. And so just as I received Jesus as Lord in my life, I need to continue. No strings attached. And Paul in his, in his teaching... He got really strong with a church in Galatia on this point, And I wanted to share it with you. There was a church that was really struggling with this. And so he writes in Galatians chapter 3. He says this. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? That's a Spirit with a capital S, okay? That's the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that didn't grow up in a church, when we come to know Christ, when we receive Jesus, what happens is we receive the Holy Spirit from God and the Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us, gives us wisdom, helps us to understand scripture, right? The Holy Spirit does a lot. And so he says, did you receive that spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So in other words, did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing all the right things? By dotting all the I's and crossing the T's, did you receive the Holy Spirit by your works? Or did you believe it by what you heard? The gospel. The message that Jesus has come to set you free from your sin. And he goes on. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So in other words, it's, Did you come to Jesus and in that moment you were forgiven of all your sin and now it's like, "Yep, thanks Jesus, now I'm going to go on my way. And I'm going to do it on my own. Paul says it doesn't work that way. You started with the Holy Spirit and your faith in Jesus, now continue, keep going, and your faith in Jesus. Now some of you at this moment, you might say, yeah Chris, but obedience is really important. Don't miss that, don't miss that point on obedience. And I would agree with you. There are passages that you could go to. I mean, I think of John 14, 15. It says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But here's the thing about obedience. Obedience is a, it's a litmus test of the heart. It shows us where our affections lie. Your actions, your words They are evidence of where your heart is. If you want to know where your heart is, follow your words and your actions. Look at where does your money go? Where does your time go? What are the things that you talk about? You want to know where the affection of your heart is? Look at what you do and what you say. And it is a perfect measure of where your heart is. And so Jesus comes along and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. What he's saying is... If you truly love me, your actions are going to follow. Your actions are going to follow. All right, so I spent a lot of time on one verse. We won't spend that much time on the rest of these, but uh, let's keep going. So he says in verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This thankfulness comes from a consistent understanding of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And that's a passage that we will come back into a little bit. Uh, I might highlight it a little bit. So let's jump to verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And we talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about the supremacy of Christ. And I'll just highlight it now. When Jesus was here on earth... He wasn't half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. He was the full representation of God on the earth. And when Jesus hung on that cross, God hung on the cross. When Jesus was here for a short 33 years, about what we believe that he was here, he made more of an impact than any other person that has ever set foot on this planet. And to this day, 2,000 some years later, he's still making an impact and people all over the globe are finding their faith. They're finding faith in him or placing their faith in him and they're finding hope in him to this day. And Jesus is the fullness of the deity of God. So. We'll keep going. We'll jump into verse 10. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So you, you get to this, this place where Paul tells us you have fullness. And I wanted to share this word with you in a different translation. Maybe if some of you are reading uh, the New Living Translation this morning and you would have it. Uh, so I'll start it. so. So you also are complete Through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete in Christ. If you are here this morning and you are in Jesus, look at that word. You are complete. In another portion of scripture, not lacking anything. You are complete. All right? You need to hear that this morning. You are made whole in Jesus. You are complete. So that's why I wanted to share that translation because that word resonated a little better with me. All right, so verse 10, we're rushing along here, uh, but we'll slow down in a minute. So verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And if you are sitting here and you are not somebody that is uh, a regular churchgoer, things just got really weird for you, okay, and I'll acknowledge that because I just started talking about circumcision, which is something that we don't talk about in life. I mean, you think about the last time you had a conversation about circumcision. I can't name one other than when our children were born. That's it. And so for you... uh, It may have gotten a little weird. Now, if it wasn't weird when I started talking about circumcision, the odds are that you've been hanging out with church people for far too long. Uh, It wasn't odd for me, uh, so I'm right there with you. Uh, I will note, though, that this is one of the problems that we have with getting men to church, is because we talk about things like circumcision. And uh, if you're here and you're not a, a regular attender and you hear this and you're like, wait a second, the guy up front on stage just started talking about circumcision and Nobody else, like everybody else sat around like that was normal. Like that is not normal. People don't do that. And so they keep the other men away. I'm joking, of course. But um, I'll explain what's going on here with circumcision. So circumcision, to really understand this. And remember what we talked about, our view of God, how we view God. This is really important now in this moment. Because where circumcision comes from is from the Old Testament. It was a guy named Abraham. Okay? And God comes to Abraham and he chooses Abraham and he says, out of you I'm going to make a great nation. And so part of that, God wants to make a covenant or a promise with Abraham and he wants to give him something that marks that promise. And God gives him this, this thing called circumcision. We might think that that's an odd thing to mark the promise, but it's an identifying thing that happens. Now we won't get into how they ever figured out how they ever identified people that were circumcised. I'm not quite sure how they did that, but we'll keep going. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male, this is God speaking, shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh, or my covenant in your flesh, is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. And so this covenant was given. This promise was given to Abraham that he would be a great nation. And there would be people as part of that nation. For uh, It would be an everlasting covenant or an everlasting kingdom. And so as people did this. As Abraham did this to his sons. And they did this to their sons. And it kept going through the generations. There's something you got to remember. We are people that forget things, right? We forget stuff. From one generation to the next, if you are, if you're older than 50, you're probably in the room thinking the generation that is living now in the United States has forgotten some of the things that I was taught as a kid. We forget things as we move on through the generations. God knew that. God is a God that does not forget his promises or uh, his covenant with his people. So what would happen is as I, as a dad, say my wife and I have a son and we go to, I have to now go and circumcise this son, right? And I would look to my father and I would say, why do we have to do this again? And he would say, it's because God has made a covenant with us. We are his people. It's a reminder of his promise And it's a gruesome reminder. I'll give you that. It's a gruesome reminder of his promise. But God did this all through the Old Testament. He would give his people these like punch you in the face, wake you up promises or markers to remember the promises of God. The sacrificial system. If you were a sinner in the Old Testament, the way you dealt with sin was to take a lamb and have it sacrificed. That was ugly and gruesome. And it was a stark reminder to you of the ugliness of sin and the holiness of God. So he gave us, he gave the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, he gave the people these signs of the promises that he had made with them. Now, ultimately, we know today that circumcision, all right, it's not so much about circumcision. Circumcision is done for different reasons, health reasons, and there's all kinds of arguments today whether or not it's, we should do it or we shouldn't do it. But it has nothing to do anymore with that old, that old covenant that God had made with the nation of Israel because God is more concerned with not our flesh but our heart. God is more concerned with our, our heart and not our flesh. And so this is what he says. And Paul says, in him, you were also circumcised. He's not talking physically. He's talking spiritually. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by hand. So he's very specific. This is not a circumcision that's done by hands, but a circumcision that is done with Christ, by Christ. And so God... In his wisdom and his love for us, he's saying, I am concerned about your heart. There's actually a place in Jeremiah where he says, circumcise your hearts. Now, when we speak about the heart, it's really important that we understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about the physical flesh because you can't physically circumcise your heart. That's not even possible. All right. But what he's talking about here is your mind, your will, your emotions, the decision-making center of your body or your soul is what your heart is. That's when the Bible talks about the heart, that's what it's talking about. And so what God wants us to do is he recognizes there's this sinful nature in your heart. We know that. We know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the deep, dark secrets of our heart. And he's saying, you gotta, we gotta do some surgery there. We gotta cut that out. And I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. God knows those parts of your heart also. God knows those secret places in your heart. God knows those things that you would be ashamed to talk about publicly if they were to come out. God knows them. He's not surprised by them. He's not taken off guard. And he sent Jesus to deal with them. So Paul is keying in on this circumcision as part of uh, being connected to God's family. But it's not a physical circumcision. I want to be clear on that. It's a circumcision of the heart. And God is so concerned about the heart. He said in the Old Testament in in the book of Ezekiel, he said this uh, to the nation of Israel. He says, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone, Before I became a Christian, there was a heart of stone in here towards God. And I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in a land in the land and I will give your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. So we keep going here and we're talking about this. This uncircumcision of our flesh. Jump down to verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. And I would point out here that at that point, there was some people walking around saying, the only way that you could be saved was to have this physical circumcision. And Paul faces them. He comes to them face to face and he says, no, 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 no. It's not the reality. It's a a faith in Jesus. It's a faith in Christ. It's a spiritual circumcision. So... When you were dead in Christ, or when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. So when I was powerless to do anything else, I was powerless to do any good works on my own, God made me alive in Christ. And what He did for me is He canceled, keep going, having canceled the written code with its regulations, that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And when at this time, when he's talking to these people, it's really important that you understand this, the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were consumed with the law. They were consumed with doing all the right things. And for a while, you could maybe get away with, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not any of those Old Testament Ten Commandment things, I haven't committed any of those sins. And then Jesus came along and what did he do? He upped the ante. He said, yeah, but if you've murdered someone or if you've hated someone in your heart, you've murdered them. If you've looked lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so Jesus ups the ante when he came and he said, you didn't understand the law as it was fully given. Let me help you understand it. And that made those Pharisees in that day really angry And do you know why it made him so angry? It was because they couldn't live up to that. They knew it. In and of themselves, they could not, in their sinful nature, live up to the law of God. The good news is that Jesus knew that as well. And so when he came and he exposed that in us, he also came and said, but I've come to offer forgiveness. I've come to offer new life, fullness of life. And so as you read this passage and you see this, where it says that he's canceled the written code that was against us. So the law stood in the way we couldn't fulfill the law on our own. We weren't good enough. We couldn't, you can't do it. You can't be perfect. And God knows it. And so what he did is he came to earth and he went to a cross and he took things like your hatred. All right. Your anger, when you don't get the things that you want, Or when people act a certain way and you don't like it. And you think about it in your heart. And maybe you think about ways to get back at them, all right? What God did, what Jesus did when he went to that cross is it says, he nailed it to the cross, canceling the written code that was against us. So he took your hatred and he nailed it to the cross. He took your pride, your selfishness. The things that you're maybe you're always centered on you. Maybe you don't want anybody else to see the sin that exists in your life. So you hide it. You store it away. You don't talk about it. You don't confess it. You don't go back to people when you've wronged them and apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Because it's all about you. So he took your pride. And he nailed it to the cross. Canceling your debt. And he took your lust. Maybe this is a struggle for you. He took your lust for the things that he has created. Instead of your heart being for the creator, your heart is for the things of this earth, the things that he's created. And he took your lust and he nailed it to the cross. That's not going to stay. I'm not a carpenter like Jesus was. But he nailed it to the cross. And he canceled the the written code that was against us. And so, when Jesus came, if his mission was to be right, all right, to just be right, he could have done this. He could have come and he could have looked at every single one of us and he could have said, sinner, 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 sinner. Lawbreaker, lawbreaker, lawbreaker. And he could have left. And he would have been justified because he would have been right because every single one of us has sinned against God. But Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so as he went to the cross, and I love what it says in verse 15, it says that he made a public spectacle of it. As he went to that cross, the gospel writers record that there were crowds that followed Jesus. They witnessed his crucifixion. And so as he was nailed to the cross, there's no question. It was done publicly. It's been paid for. The debt that was against us, the debt that was against you and me as sinners, has been canceled. It's been canceled. And every time that we sin... Every time that we sin, we have an accuser of our soul. Satan or his demons come to us and they say, See, you can't do it. Failure. Failure, failure, failure. But look what verse 15 says. So he took those sins and he nailed them to the cross. Verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. Or by the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities. That's Satan and his enemies. So every time Satan looks at you and says failure. You can look back and say no I'm not. Because of the work of Jesus. I'm not a failure because of the work of Christ. It's not about my own works. It's not about the things that I've done. It's about what Jesus has done. And all my sin is paid for. It's taken care of. It's canceled. We've got to finish this thing, so we'll finish with this. Paul says in a different place in Romans, he says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who will bring a charge against you? If you are in Christ, all that guilt, all that shame that you carry, those sins that you've committed, they're paid for, they're canceled, the debt has been settled. So stop trying to earn your salvation. But come back daily to the cross. Come back every single day to the cross of Christ and say, You know what? If I blow it today, my affections for things in this world have become far too important for me. And reacclimate yourself with the gospel. And the gospel is simply that Jesus has gone to the cross and he's paid for your sin. And you can be made right with God through faith in him. That's the same today as it was the day that you believed in him. So my hope for every one of us is that we walk from this place, is that we recognize... Our sin's been dealt with. I don't have to walk with guilt and shame anymore. And I want my affection every single day. I want my affection to be going towards Jesus. Because if my affection's going towards Jesus, it's not going towards anything else. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. And... Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for canceling the written code that stood against us. Lord, I pray that we would view you as a heavenly father who loves us and wants us to be free from the bondage of sin. And you've made it possible, God, through your son, Jesus. I pray for every person in here that we would walk in that freedom and that newness of life